It is said in Abrahamic faith that includes Islam, Christianity, and Judaism that to take a human life is like killing all of humanity and to save a life is like saving all of humanity. Ted Bundy did both of these things. But he's also and will remain Ted Bundy, the serial killer. He has, but he's also a serial killer with significant cultural influence. There's probably no other killer that is talked about more often than Ted Bundy. Sure, there's Marilyn Manson, there's Jeffrey Dahmer, there's John Wayne Gacy, but what Bundy had running for him was his charm and his charisma. That was what was on his side for so long. And there's even, and that shows even after his death, after his execution, the cultural influence. I looked up the number of songs that I just typed in the word Ted Bundy for songs that are on Spotify. And I found over 75 songs that have his name in the title of the song. And there's probably a lot more that indirectly mention his name in the song. There are at least nine movies about Bundy. And there are 25, at least 25 books about Bundy. And here are the sources that I'm going to use in this episode of Esteban Nation. I'm going to say use The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. Anne Rule was an author and she was also a friend about she was a friend of Ted Bundy when they were working in the crisis hotline in Seattle. And they've been friends for a long time until his until she realized that Bundy was the killer, the the one who took place in all the mur- who was there when all the murders happened. And my other book is Conversations with a Killer by Stephen McCall. I'm going to cite the book and I'm going to cite the documentary. Now, there's a big difference between the book and the documentary. The documentary shows Bundy's voice. And there's clips of Bundy's voice that have never been shown before. And the book has, goes into more detail about the murders that Bundy talks about and the creation of the serial killer known as the the campus killer, the one who caused it all, which was Bundy himself, but he's talking about himself in the third person. It's very detailed and it gives you a clue about him. The documentary doesn't give a lot of clues. It focuses more on the, the killer's biography of killing. My other book is The Deliberate Stranger by Larson. He was a journalist who also personally knew personally knew Ted Bundy and did and interviewed him and wrote down his notes and made the book out of the notes. There's a movie that's on Netflix called Extremely Wicked and Shockingly Evil. And it has Zac Efron as the actor. And 
the there's not although he plays the actor well he does capture the charisma of Bundy very well Efron there's a lot of details that are wrong in that movie I could go on about the wrong details in that movie but I'll just mention one for example in the scene where Bundy is proposing to to Carol Ann it's he's proposing in the Miami trial which is in in front of Judge Cowart but in real life he actually proposes to her during the trial of Kimberly Leach in Tallahassee or Salt I believe it's Salt Lake County it's I'm a little rusty with the names but it in the case where Kimberly Leach was murdered and he proposes to her during during that the documentary shows that but the movie does not show that and now for the the other part of the fans of Bundy is that and rules says that women have especially from the movies because there's a movie about Ted Bundy in 1992 and then there's this movie with Zac Efron in it that women are in love with the actor but not the killer but there are also there are also women who are in love with the killer when i do, when i'm making this episode i do not encourage and am and i will never be trying to encourage anyone to become a fan or an admirer or some crazed just groupie about ted bundy i do not encourage that ted bundy will be first and foremost a killer he ruined hundreds of lives ruined thousands hundreds to thousands of lives because of his actions because he killed a lot of people he killed 30 but it is it, it is theorized that he might have killed 100 women and this is this is a detailed episode about who the about what he did who he killed what's significant about every kill I'm not going to go into detail about every kill but I'm just focusing on the profile of Bundy and what we can learn from him and what I've learned from from Bundy because as terrible as serial killers are there are there are still a lot of details and a lot of lessons that we can learn from the actions of killers so that we can battle the killers of the 21st century Now about the fans. All actors were handsome because the killer was handsome in the movie. In the in in the movies about Bundy. But Andrew has letters written to her from Bundy about Bundy from all 50 states. And Italy, China, Germany, Holland, Sweden, and Zimbabwe from women confessing their love for Bundy. It makes me remember when I was into creepy pasta and I discovered that there are people on the internet who want to marry Jeff the killer and I left creepy pasta for that reason I will but I will describe the sides of Bundy in this dark biography and special episode with five chapters Chapter 1 The Entity Bundy's testimonies 
are often unreliable. He goes vague. He describes certain things, certain philosophies, but doesn't go into too much detail for the person interviewing to understand what he's talking about. And he's always trying to manipulate the conversation to go his direction and where he wants. And when he's when the murders are brought up, he dodges them and instead focuses on a biography of himself. But there were some moments when he did start touch upon start start touching upon the psychology of this of this killer. He always denied that he did not commit the crimes. He did not murder those women all across the United States. So the interviewer persuaded him into talking about this individual and the third person. So the question is phrased like this, Mr. Bundy, how did, if you didn't commit these crimes, who did and how, or how can you describe the psychology of this individual? What drove this individual to be, to act the way he did? Because this question was posed to Bundy because Bundy gave him, gave himself the self-titled expert on serial killers. He declared himself an expert on serial killers and their psychology. So he goes into detail on the entity. The entity is what Bundy describes as the disordered one or the one who has caused the killer to act the way he is. A dark force that provoked him into going and into superseding his rationality, his moral conduct and go commit eventually commit the crimes that he did but how did the but the entity started as this small thing maybe we all have a little bit of the entity inside us a husband has probably had the urge to kill his wife after she angered him enough but he doesn't act on it a a brother wants to kill his sibling because they got the toy and he didn't they didn't want it but they don't act on it or the parents inter interfere and say and explain the the wrong in killing someone but the entity overrides all these learned factors according to bundy and it begins it doesn't even begin with murder it begins with voyeurism voyeurism for anyone who doesn't know what it is is when you're spying on a woman or you're spying on someone and watching them undress in the privacy of their bedroom and getting a getting pleasure out of it you get pleasure out of seeing someone in during their nudity but not really pleasure when you're fornicating with that individual Bundy says that it began it began with this this man possessed by the entity is going and stalking a woman that he sees go, going down the street and he he's he just goes I have to follow this person I need to see who what what she is like and he follows her a few blocks down the street and keeps going until he reaches her house. She walks into a house, supposed it to be hers, and he goes and sneaks up to the window of her bedroom 
and she doesn't see him and he watches her undress and he savors the moment of it and he walks away a little disgusted with himself but he does it again he does it with himself again it reminds me of an of a of an alcohol addiction or a heroin addiction or cocaine when you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing but it feels so good and you have to keep doing it and Bundy or this killer this person decides to go and keep doing it again and again and eventually this action that he does interferes with his with his personal life he sleeps during the day he postpones social events he postpones whatever he can so that he can do that again at night now the transition into murder is not clearly described by Bundy but he says he he claims that alcohol is a factor in it this man goes and he's he stumbles out of the bar drunk and alcohol Ben Bundy argues that Bundy argues that alcohol doesn't make an individual so attached to his moral code it makes people arrogant it makes people more careless and less regretting of their actions and Bundy's while he's alcohol at the right time at the right moment according to him sees a woman that is very charming and he follows her and he decides that he wants to kill her now he doesn't explain how this how this urge arrives but it just arrives all of a sudden whether he's seen it in a magazine or a or a pornographic book or a movie it's what inspired him to do it now i'm not saying that pornography causes murder or it causes this type of corruption millions of people read pornography or watch pornography and don't act in these ways but bundy was one of those few where it was not a not quite a catalyst catalyst is not the right word but it was more of a of something to to just know what he wants to do but one could argue that whatever he urge he's been having he's been having for a long time since he was a teenager maybe even younger or he was born like that now back to the killing he goes and and he gets close to this to this woman finally she he goes and runs up ahead and hides in a bush or hides behind a plant and he waits for her and she finally gets close but she suddenly turns left and goes straight to her house the man after realizing what he's done he's disgusted by what he's done he's disgusted by everything that has just almost happened he was almost going to harm someone but he doesn't quite do it and but he realizes that it could have happened if only she didn't turn left so he tries to kick those habits he tries to go out with friends spend more time socializing with friends 
and drinking with them and not going by himself because he knows that if he's left alone with his own thoughts, it's going to end badly. It might come back. And this succeeds for a while. He does it fine. And then finally, he, one day, the urge suddenly comes back and he goes, he doesn't go back to killing. He goes back into that cycle of voyeurism, following women and watching them undress until he gets, he gets the opportunity again. This time he plans it a little more and with not so much alcohol, although alcohol he, he is reported to have been drunk when he murdered some of his victims or tried to attempt it. And it's most famously in the case of Carol DeRunch. He goes in, he finally finds a woman that's at her car and he punctures a tire. Or I don't remember how the story goes, but he finds her in a situation where she doesn't move for a while. And he takes a two by four and hits her with it causes her to scream it doesn't knock her unconscious but it just causes her to scream Bundy is once again disgusted by what he just did this time he runs away and he well he runs away and he he's just amazed that he was capable of doing something like that and once again tries to kick the habit but this time this this cycle of getting over it last only three months the other time was either 10 months or a year it's not quite described how long but he goes back into that cycle again after three months and gets even closer to to killing someone and then eventually his first murder victim happens and after that he he finally kills someone after he kills, the entity begins making rationalizations, according to Bundy. And the way he described it was, when you go into Vietnam, when, when soldiers are trained for Vietnam, they're not, killing, they're not killing a human being. They're not being told they're killing a human being. They're told they're killing a communist, or they're killing someone who represents an evil against America, so that they can dehumanize that person. This entity is doing the same thing with Bundy or at least his mind is doing it and this is how according to Bundy his career of murder began end of chapter one chapter two the killer Bundy did nice things for people, but his atrocities shadow his benevolence. People will think I'm paying homage to Bundy in this episode, but I'm not. Don't get it twisted. I'm talking about his murder before I talk about his good side. If you end up falling in love with Bundy after this episode, get yourself checked. Now, I'm going to detail Bundy's confirmed murders, how many there are and his method of murder murder and i'm going to talk about a little bit about what i learned about psychopaths after reading about bundy for so long bundy has confirmed murders in california oregon washington utah idaho 
and Florida. He confessed to 30 of them. But that number could be up to 100 or higher because he admitted to a detective once in a conversation that the detective told him that he was accused of 30 murders. But he said, add one more digit to that. And the detective wondered, you mean you did 31? Pardon me, it was 36 murders. The exact number was 36 murders. This is from Anne Rule's book. You can fact you can fact check me later. But it was 36, and then Bundy said, add one more digit to that. And then the detective was thinking, so he did 37 murders? Or he doesn't mean 360 murders. Regardless of what was of what the answer was, it still unsettled him. And it's crazy how he would have such a record in only seven states. That's why it is theorized that Bundy has actually committed more murders, made more women disappear in other states like New Hampshire or New York. Because in Anne Rule's book, there's detailed, there's there are some women that have written to Anne Rule and told told her that this man, Bundy, has walked up to women in picnics before out in the East Coast and done his did his little seduct his his attraction just getting women to be attracted to him and then get taking him and then he letting them take letting him take them somewhere and some disappear and some don't fall for it his first confess confess murder is Linda Ann Healy of Seattle Washington she disappeared she disappeared in 1974 and the body was found about a year later but his first attempted murder was of Sharon Clark, which was 27 days before Healy's disappearance. She was knocked unconscious from the first blow and then beaten repeatedly with a steel rod. She survived, but she couldn't remember how she was knocked unconscious or who or any details of who did it. And these were the days when people left their doors unlocked. Nowadays, everyone... Almost everyone in the United States locks their doors and has a security system in place for it. But this was the 70s, and this was Seattle. And there were not, there was just no need for anyone to unlock, to lock their doors. The area that Linda Ann Healy and Sharon Clark lived in were not dangerous. They didn't have a reputation of being dangerous. But Bundy changed all of that. But there is a theoretical murder that Bundy committed. Some say that his his career actually began in 1961, when Bundy was 15 years old. There was an eight-year-old named Marie Burr, Anne-Marie Burr, who was the... She was a neighbor. And this, this kid apparently loved Ted Bundy. He was the paper boy a local paper boy who delivered the newspapers to people in 1961. And she, Anne-Marie Burr, would apparently follow Bundy around and just stick with him a lot. She, She was, in a way, in love with Bundy. 
But one day she disappeared. She vanished and like she walked out the door. The door was open. There was a storm that night. And people say it was probably Bundy. Although he lived a few blocks away, he knew them well. He says in an interview that he never did it and that he was too young to have committed such a thing. But people think otherwise. And it's a tragedy that Anne-Marie Burr has vanished. Her body was never found. And his last murder, Bundy's last confessed murder was Kimberly Diane Leach, 12 years old, in, Tala in a small town in Florida. It was not in Tallahassee, but I believe it was in Salt Lake, Salt Lake County. And she was, there was another death sentence for Bundy for her murder alone, because that was a 12 year old. Now this is how he lured his victims into the, into murder, it's for him to murder them. Some there was luring, others there was sneaking in. Number one is the briefcase with the, with the cast. Bundy used a cast with making it look like he was injured so that he could attract more sympathy from people around him. And he would go, he was at the University of Seattle and other universities like Evergreen College, but they were colleges all throughout the state of Washington. And people would report seeing a man with a cast trying to carry a briefcase and just being and he he would carry it but then knock it down and the papers would scatter all over the floor if you've ever seen the the silence of the lamps the method that buffalo bill used to kidnap that that daughter of a politician in his van with the bed that was inspired by ted bundy but maybe i didn't have to explain that to you but it's just a little a little reference so you can catch later on because a lot of stuff culturally stock comes from Ted Bundy and the briefcase he would tell them all right I just need to load this case in this briefcase into the car his Volkswagen bug and they after the woman helps him and he convinces them to either get in the car or they're out of sight he hits them with a rod knocks them unconscious and then drags them somewhere to be killed. The second me method was used at Lake Sammamish in Washington, the sailboat method. He would once again put that cast on and go approach women over at the, at the, at the lake. And then he, he would say, excuse me, ma'am, I have a sailboat that I would like to go load onto my car, but I can't load it. It's difficult for me. Can you help me? And then they would take, she would, he would take the woman into a parking lot, a, a almost empty parking lot. And there's this Volkswagen with a bike rack, but no sailboat. They would ask, where's the sailboat? And then he would say, oh, it's, a, it's actually at my, at this house, at my house. It's just a quick drive up. I'll take you up there. And some people said no. Others fell for it. Number three is the officer. 
he this was when this was the method that got him in trouble with Carol DeRunch because it was his first it was also his first failure and it took place in Utah in Salt Lake City and he what what happened with Carol DeRunch was that there was a man who approached her and he seemed to he looked like a normal man but then he identified himself as an officer he said excuse me ma'am there's we we caught a man who was trying to break into your car. You want to take a look? We we have him apprehended. And she says, "Sure." And he takes her to the to her car and has her check it. He looks around and she says, "It it hasn't been robbed. It hasn't been broken in." But he insists and insists. And he doesn't it's and then she is he picks up that he, she picks up that she is not fall picks up on him and he's not and she's not falling for it but it but he still maintains his posture of authority and says well we have the suspect apprehended he's over in this direction and then they walk to an old building a shady looking building and see no one and he said oh he's actually at the at the county at the at the station with his partner let's go see and he convinces her to get into the Volkswagen and does and but suddenly he pulls out a gun while they're driving to the station and tells and threatens her with death if she doesn't do what he's told but she fights him and somehow there's a and there's a struggle and she wins it and runs away from the car and hops onto another car and escapes Bundy but this method, this police officer method was used to get other victims. And the final one is the night stalking. When, and this was used on Linda Ann Healy, the, the first victim and several other victims. When he would find that there's a car or there's a house that has been unlocked, he studies it vigorously. He studies it and knows the detail of a certain building and he finds weaknesses and knows when studies people's habits of when they enter when they do not enter when someone is in this room and then he does his work he goes and knocks them out take them take them away in the night and hardly leaves a trace of evidence that's why the police had such a hard time eluded catching Bundy for so long And the night stalking is what Bundy talks about or goes into in chapter one when he's talking about the entity. Now, the movie psychopath versus the true psychopath. Ted Bundy is described as a psychopath. And when you watch the movie The Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter is also described as a psychopath. But in the movie... Hannibal is 100% confident in everything he does, all the time. And that's what differs from an actual, an actual psychopath. Despite a psychopath not feeling empathy or remorse for their actions, not feeling a sense of guilt if they com committed murder, they still have actions that they're unsure about. 
And Bundy was not like Hannibal Lecter, where he seemed confident and charming all the time. There were moments when he was unsure. And one of them was when he is, is especially shows when he drinks alcohol because he says that alcohol lowers his inhibitions. And imagine if he didn't drink alcohol before seeing Carol Durunch, which he did. She sensed the smell of alcohol in his breath. But if he did, he would maybe act a little more cautious, a little more nervous. She still seemed to have a sense that what he was doing was wrong. So what he did was drink. He drank alcohol so that he could remove any of that moral guilt and do what he wants to do. And the psychopaths among us, not all of them kill. Not all of them are out to be out for people. They're not, it's not like that. But there are still very few who do. You know, they're more, they're deadlier counterparts. They still have to learn. Well, they don't exactly, they don't feel empathy for the pain of others, but they learn to mimic the empathy. And they say it's almost like a disease of the brain. Psychopathy is a, is a disease of the brain, but there's no cure for it. And, they, and the cure for being a psychopath has not been found yet. So some people argue that Bundy was not, it's not his fault that he's a psychopath. And that's probably true. But it still doesn't justify his actions because there are psychopaths out there who don't kill. And, and work hard to be good people. End of chapter 2. Chapter 3. The Benevolent. When psychopaths kill, they have no remorse about what they do. But they are also capable of great good if they so choose. I'm going to read a passage. I'm going to read some passages in this book. From this book, The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. Because she details how Ted Bundy was at his good side. If, as many people believe today, Ted Bundy took lives, he also saved lives. I know he did. Because I was there when he did it. I can picture him today as clearly as it were only yesterday, seeing him hunched over the phone, talking steadily, reassuringly, see him look up at me, shrug and grin. I can hear him agreeing with an elderly woman that it must have been beautiful that Seattle was lit only by gaslights, hear the infinite patience and caring in his voice, and see him sigh and roll his eyes while he listened to a penitent alcoholic. He was never brusque, never hurried. So, with Bundy's character, if you were a friend of Ted Bundy, and you met him for lunch or for dinner, you know, at a social gathering, he was always listening. He always paid attention to you, 100%. If he took you out on a date, he would show you some old school courtesy. He'd give you flowers, he'd listen to your problems, and make you feel important. If a 
a parent of a woman that he took out to a date met him, he would say, this is the man, this is the type of man that I won't want, I would want my daughter to marry. And he was very courteous to Anne Rule, especially. When Anne Rule met Bundy, she was, a, she was about to go through a divorce. She was about to separate with her husband because he was dying and wanted to go on his own. I think that was the story, but he wanted to go out on his own, just experience freedom. And he felt that marriage was, uh, was inflicting his freedom and rest restraining it. And Bundy advised and Rule to say to let allow allow her to let the man go. She'll live on her own, but it would be better for the two of them. And it was exactly what what he did. And she always remembered that act of kindness that she received from Bundy. But it went even further. And it reads in this passage, He always insisted on seeing me safely to my car when my shift at the crisis clinic was over in the wee hours of the morning. He stood by until I was safely inside my car. Doors locked and engines started, waving to me as I headed for home 20 miles away. He often told me, Be careful. I don't want anything to happen to you. After I read that, it made me remember Eric Harris, the mastermind of the Columbine High School shooting in 1999. He was one of the Columbine shooters. But before he went to kill, to go shoot the school or to bomb the school, he saw Brooks Brown, a classmate, a classmate that he was friends with, and he told Brooks, Brooks, I like you now. Get out of here. Go home. He said those words minutes before he was about to go massacre the high school in 1999. And my sister has asked me an interesting question from all of this. How much does a serial killer have to like you to the point where he doesn't kill you? When Ted Bundy, when Ann Rule was finding clues to why, how Ted Bundy could be the killer, one of the big clues was dogs, how dogs react to Bundy. She says, the only clue, the only clue I had was my dog, who, like everyone else, didn't like Ted at all. When he bent over my desk at the crisis clinic, she growled and hackled, hackles on her, her neck stood up. The lesson is clear. Pay attention to your dog. If someone seems like they're amazing and they, and it, you seem, and everyone says that they are a great person, but your dog is saying otherwise, it is a good indicator that that person may not be what he seems to be. I'm not saying that they're going to be a killer. But what I'm saying is that there's a false mask. There's a mask being put on. And you must be wary of who you interact with. End of chapter 3. Chapter 4. The Boyfriend. Ted was no stranger to relationships. He's had many girlfriends throughout his life. But there were three women who were significant in his romantic life and even in the life when he became a killer. I will list them and talk about each of them. 
His first girlfriend he met when he was at the University of Washington in Seattle. Stephanie Brooks. Stephanie was wealthy. She was she was from California. She owned a convertible. She had nice clothes and was just the classic wealthy American Californian woman. And Bundy didn't have a lot of money. He didn't come from a wealthy background. He didn't own the car that Stephanie had, but he had his charming good looks and his amazing personality as was described by by some girlfriends but eventually his money ran out because Stephanie was a was used to a lifestyle of wealth having nice things eating nice driving a nice car and just and if she was going to be with someone like Ted Bundy and he wasn't getting his act together even if he was 20 and just a college student she was going to have to drop him and this was the person this Stephanie was the person that was that Bundy was in love with but he declared his love for everyone every one of these girlfriends that I'm uh, that I've listed that I'm going to list but it it is theorized that Anne Rule well Anne Rule theorizes that Bundy's killing began with Stephanie Brooks because a lot of the women that Bundy murdered looked like Stephanie black hair parted in parted in the on in the middle and it was like black long hair with a beautiful face and Ted Bundy was was not wealthy enough to take care of Stephanie Brooks the way she wanted to and so she dropped him as a as the relationship was on and then later on but Bundy still thought about Brooks for a long time and he even thought about her when after he met Meg Anders or Liz Liz which is Liz in the movie Extremely Wicked and Shockingly Evil. Liz is her real name. Meg Anders is the Elias that Anne Rule used for her. But he met Liz in a in Salt Lake City when he studied at law school. And she wanted to she came from a Mormon family. She was of a wealthy background as well. And she had a child. She was raised she was a single mother and raising a child. It was a time it's a time when women who have children are not as desirable and men stay away from them like the plague because they don't want to deal with the child. But not Ted. Ted took care of the child and even the child loved Bundy and even looked up to him as a father figure for a long time. But Bundy was still thinking of Stephanie Brooks while Meg Anders, while he was dating Meg Anders. And he never told Meg about Stephanie. So he began making, building himself up in reputation and in wealth and work ethic, getting more discipline when he was around 27 years old. He met Stephanie again. And 
took her out on dates in Seattle and just in California as well. And she was very impressed with the way Bundy has changed and saw that there is a future for Bundy after all. He can be wealthy. He's capable of earning wealth. The effort that he puts in, he he can do it. And it seems like everything is going perfect and she's ready to take him back. Stephanie is ready to go for go for Bundy again. But at the last minute, at the last moment, Bundy turns cold. He begins acting like he never met her, like he's not interested in her, and he and then he flies away back to Utah leaving Stephanie Brooks without explaining to her why he left her and this was Bundy's revenge on Stephanie for leaving him while he had nothing and now it seemed like he had everything but he's gonna do the same thing she did to him to her and now when he's murdering his victims it seems that he is murdering people that look like Stephanie Brooks as revenge and this to see that he is killing Stephanie over and over and over again the next girlfriend is Carol Ann Boone this is someone that he met while he was working in in Salt Lake City Carol Ann Boone loved Ted Bundy and his her love for him also went goes very far they he after he became a killer after he was well he was convicted of his crimes and was being sentenced Meg Anders had broken up with him because she realized this too she stopped communicating with him because he caused her a lot of pain he was telling her that this is going to happen, they're going to have a great future, but he's in jail. And for a long time, she couldn't believe that Ted Bundy was the killer because of his astounding personality. But there were clues. Meg Anders had the clues to Ted Bundy's actions. He would, like, the pla- she saw the plaster of Paris, she knew he had a Volkswagen. She even found a knife under his seat once. And he found all the materials that Bundy used to go kidnap his victims. And reported him to the police. He was one of the 3,000 names on the list when there were 3,000 names. But they, it took them a while to identify and make Bundy the number one. Because of hard police bureaucracy. And Carol Ann Boone, till the end, did not believe that Bundy was was guilty of all the murders. She supported him when the media was, in Bundy's words, attacking him and convicting him of murder before the court did. And Carol Ann Boone was defending him from the media and even testifying that he is innocent and that he's a great man and he wouldn't be capable of such things 
even when the whole world was now almost entirely convinced that Bundy was innocent. And she even bore him a child. Bundy has a daughter. And the daughter was, was conceived while he was in prison, in Florida State Prison. But at the end, Carol Ann Boone left Bundy about a year before his execution because she realized that all the sacrifices that, well, it's theorized, that all the sacrifice that she's done for him, you know, she has an impressive resume. She can use that resume to work hard, but she lived very close to the prison and would work to just support Bundy in any way she can. Now, when all hope was lost for Bundy, she left him and went somewhere else to go raise the child. And Bundy died with just alone with his execution. He went out. End of chapter four. Chapter 5, The Inmate His girlfriends, including Anne Rule, the author of The Stranger Beside Me, would send him money for cigarettes, food, and other supplies while he was in prison. And this was when he was in prison in Utah, Colorado, and even Florida, up until his execution. One might wonder, how did he not get killed while he was in prison if he was convicted of murdering a child. Child murderers do not get a light treatment in prison. Especially child rapists. And Ted Bundy could is just maybe but he may be just a little below a child rapist. Send one of those to Mexico to a Mexican prison and see what happens. Even in the United States, when you're labeled as a chomo or a child molester, you know, your paperwork looks bad. Things are going to be real bad for you every single day while you're in prison. Everyone's going to know who you are. But this was not the case for Bundy. And the reason why Bundy was kept, was left alone by other inmates for all the time that he's been in prison up until his execution is because he had knowledge of the law. He understood that he he had enough knowledge from his legal studies and from his experience in trial and the prison system that he could help other inmates out with their their trials and what to say during court and could even act as their their lawyer. And this this is what kept him alive. But there, there were still correctional officers who wanted him to be gone the these officers would actually say i really wish and these are the florida officers they would say i really wish bundy made a run for him for it so we could shoot him they couldn't stand him because he was a monster he's a monster to their eyes and he even had this celebrity status in prison he would get letters from women all across the world saying how much they love him and and they would say in every letter that they would receive from Ted Bundy and this is this is Ann Rule 
you will, you'll find this information in the last chapter of Anne Rule's book. She'll, she'll say, all these women have told her that Bundy was, the, was what, who made them feel like they're, that she is the, his only true love. If you wrote to Ted Bundy and you were a, a fangirl or something while he was alive, he, he would make the letter sound like you are his only true love. Another big irony that happened while Bundy was in prison is that Judge Colbert, who was the man who sentenced him to death in the Miami trial, not the one who sentenced him to death for Kimberly Leach, that was a different trial, but the one who was there during the big battle, during the when all the women were present and the entire press was there, that that trial, the ju- Judge Cowart died of a heart attack before Ted Bundy was executed. And Bundy was in good health. While he was in prison, he exercised. He did the push-ups. He did the sit-ups. He made sure that his fat percentage in his body was always on par. And this is how Ted Bundy's life as an inmate was up until his execution. End of chapter 5. Chapter 6. Bundy's Ghost. Do you ever get that feeling when you're in the presence of someone who is not quite right? You, they may seem like they are a normal person, but maybe it's the environment that you met them in, or the setting is not correct, and they seem too good, too good to be true. They are disguised under some facade, and you are noticing that disguise. This was Bundy's effect on people who were more suspecting of others, especially when he approached women while he wore that cast and when it was nighttime. And this was most significant while he was at Chi Omega. It is read from Anne Rule's book from from a girl from Chi Omega says that she remembers that night when Bundy went in and murdered those two women at the... And injured those other two at Kyle Omega Sorority House in Tallahassee. It reads this. Kim had a sore throat, and she went to bed early. She got up some time during the night to go down to the bathroom to get a drink of water because she was coughing. She saw that the lights were out in the hallway. They were almost always on, and it was pitch dark, but she had a little way to walk to touch the switch but she said she suddenly felt such unreasoning terror as if something awful was waiting for her she had a terrible cough and she really needed a drink of water but she backed into her room and locked the door she didn't come out until the police banged on the door later because the murders had happened Anne Rule's book page 447 I used to watch an anime called Soul Eater. In this show, when a person commits a murder or kills a human being, they become less human. Their soul becomes red and they develop sharp teeth. The eyes change to one of permanent evil and they, they their entire body takes on a 
cursed appearance. None of these things happened to Bundy. But it seems that after someone kills somebody, after someone takes a human life, they are not the same again. Their, their aura changes. The, the vibe that they bring off to other people changes permanently. And some people are stronger at detecting that vibe than others are. And when you detect that, like the feeling that of impending danger, like the feeling that a grizzly bear is about to maul you, but it's not a grizzly bear, it's a human being, that's the instinct you should trust. This is Esteban Nation. End of chapter 6.